Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This is a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Welcome to Skylines, the City Metric podcast. I'm John, and uh, we don't actually have Stephanie this week because it's proven administratively incredibly difficult to get this in the same room at the same time. We will be back to normal service soon. Apart from that, I kind of we've got all sorts of exciting podcasts planned for you. We're going to do one about parks. We've got a whole thing about you know what risks face our cities. But you know, I don't feel anyone cares about that stuff right now because let's be honest, there's only one story any of us are talking about at this moment in history. Which is basically, oh my God, is the world literally going to come to an end because the United States just elected Donald Trump president. To discuss this possibility, and more to the point to discuss the urban-rural split in the vote, uh, I'm joined by two of my colleagues from the New Statesman Politics Desk, Stephen Bush and Julia Rempen. Hello. Hello. Hey guys. So, first question, are we literally all going to die? Stephen, what do you think? I mean, I think it definitely has to be considered a very real uh, possibility. I mean, there are, from a kind of international perspective, there are two things about Trump that are big threats if you live outside of the States. One is, um, of course, his palliness with Vladimir Putin, which who knows if that will embolden him to take a chunk out of the Baltic states. And we don't know quite what Europe does about that if it happens. But it may mean that for everyone in Europe, we now live with the uh, very real fear of Russian aggression. Any listeners in Ukraine will, of course, be like, well, welcome to the club, buddy. Um, <laughs> there is a, the short-term really comforting. possibility of nuclear uh, conflict with China, perhaps uh, triggered by trade wars, although that feels unlikely to me because it feels that, bizarrely, this is a terrifying sentence, um, I think that the Chinese government will be more tactically astute than that, and they may head that off. Unfortunately, there is the third course of global war and fear for a Trump president, which is the consequences of catastrophic climate change. Donald Trump is going to completely roll back Barack Obama's, to be honest, in some ways fairly limited attempts to get us to stop killing the planet, right? Uh, And so that almost certainly means that we will have at least one war over the diminishing quality quantities of la- of arable land. 
So, Julia, do you have anything more cheerful to say than that? Yeah, come on, Julia, give us sunshine. Um, well, yeah, wasn't it Barack Obama? He said the sun always rises the next day. Um, so I guess it will keep rising even if the planet is destroyed. Um, but I guess the only positive thing I can really think of is that um, we find the institutions, a bit like we're seeing with Brexit, prove a bit harder to manipulate than voters um so for example at the moment it seems the most effective way of um changing the course of brexit is through the courts and perhaps admittedly um, one of the reasons trump was elected was to um change the balance of power in the supreme court but perhaps we'll see other kinds of judicial challenges or international challenges i mean that's my concern is that the, the u.s constitution is based on a series of checks and balances and the whole intention was basically that you shouldn't have one one party in charge of all the branches of government at one time so the senate works in a different sort of timetable to the to uh, the, the house of representatives um but trump is going to have a huge congressional backing as well i mean he's gonna, the republicans are going to have a huge congressional delegation they're in the majority and like trump is now the leader of that party he's going to kind of be able to if anyone's going to stop him it's going to be the republicans not the opposition right well yeah i mean i also think that in an odd way actually there are some commonalities about trump and brexit which i imagine we'll get into because they have a particular rural urban bent but one of the big differences is actually a majority of people in the u.s were not gold you know i mean Lots of us, including me, thought that the reason why a Brexit-style event wouldn't happen in the US is its diversity inoculated it against it, which it did. Uh, Hillary Clinton is the uh, second most electorally successful American presidential candidate after Barack Obama in terms of votes won, which she lost. Uh, partly, and I think it's striking if you want to criticise uh, Hillary Clinton, that she, this is the second campaign she's run where she's won the popular vote and lost under the rules of the contest, which were advertised in advance. So that suggests uh, a long-term poor climate campaigning problem because she, she won the primaries in 2008 in terms of popular vote and lost them under the rules of the primary. So I think it's a striking uh, mistake there. But I think the difference is actually American voters didn't vote for a congressional majority for Republicans in the House of Representatives, but gerrymandering gave them one. They didn't vote for Trump, but the Electoral College uh, gave them one. And there has been... Uh, accelerated over the last decade, but I would argue uh, since the, the late 80s, um, a growing extremism within the Republican Party. This is not a party which is behaving in a way that we mm. would represent as following democratic norms. They will get the opportunity to pick at least one Supreme Court and probably a second, but crucially they will get to populate the lower ranks of the judiciary, the police, the FBI. I think there is a very real possibility that unlike in Britain where for a variety of reasons Theresa May is not able to, particularly with her small majority, and is not really trying to unpick the institutions of British politics, I think there is a real possibility that 2016 may well be the last democratic election in the United States. I think, I mean, I don't know if I'm quite as gloomy as Stephen, but I would agree that one of the things about the UK system is whoever rises to the top has come through the parliamentary system. And I think with Brexit, um, those of us who are on the losing side saw fairly quickly that our representatives, in many cases, accepted the result a lot quicker than we did, because I think they are that is the system they know is a democratic one. And I think it's interesting that, as well as Trump, I mean, he's got Ben Carson now, um, on his team, another uh, maverick, outspoken outsider who at one point had a big popular following. So um, Stephen's completely right that there were other Trumpy people who were in there and we and they did command 
popularity at different times, but we didn't see a pattern there. I want to move away from talking about the end of the world, partly because it's really upsetting me, uh, but also because this is meant to be a sort of cities podcast. Um, but Stephen, I think the, the point you, you made about the parallels with, well, the, both of you made about parallels with Brexit is an interesting one, because when I was uh, on my little road trip, we spent a lot of time in, in the Rust Belt, in places like Western Pennsylvania and Ohio and so on, which is, and it's so reminiscent of the north of England to me, because it is just these places that boomed around the turn of the 20th century off the back of the manufacturing industry and that's just not there anymore so you have these half empty cities like um I went to a place called Youngstown Ohio with these gorgeous houses that you can buy for like $70,000 and they're like four bedroom mansions opposite a park and the reason is there's just there's no jobs there like there's no reason that you would sort of choose to raise a family there if you had the choice of going anywhere else effectively. It's just Bradford over and over again. So I'm kind of interested in hearing your guys' takes on to what extent do you think there is kind of an electoral parallel between what happened in places like this with Trump and what happened in the north of England swinging towards leave? Well, I think in terms of particularly actually the the pattern and the manner of the voting on the night... uh, it, it does look increasingly, particularly as more data comes in, increasingly uh, like that, that it was a victory of small towns, rural areas, who turned out in large numbers. And there was also record turnout from big cities, ethnic minorities, but that was not enough to overcome the turnout of the country. So Florida, a really good example. We all thought about, I don't know, 12, 30, then things were going really well because yeah. of that massive turnout that came out Miami Dade of Miami and Dade. And, We yeah. all started to think, okay, it's fine, this is going to be over at, uh, at 1am. And then the rural counties came in and it turned out that it in fact wasn't. Now, Brexit played out differently on the night because of where places declared. But imagine for a moment that, say, London had come in first, right? Or Islington had come in first. And go, oh, wow, look at that turnout. We must have won with that kind of turnout. And then imagine that Newcastle and Sunderland had come in later. We would have suddenly thought about things. Very, we would have experienced the night in a very different way. So it was, it was very similar, uh, other, of course, than the fact that because some of the social changes that are ongoing, demographic changes that are ongoing in in Europe are further advanced in the US, it didn't win a... The Brexit reaction didn't win a popular majority uh, under Trump. Of course, that doesn't really matter. Yeah, we, we all knew how the Electoral College worked beforehand. Well, also, I think it's... I mean, I think the demographics are clearly part of it, but I think also the US has a higher proportion of successful cities... I mean, one of the things that you keep running into in the data on, on UK cities is that other than of the really big ones, other than London and Bristol and, and the Scottish ones to an extent, most of well, all of England's other big cities are economic disaster zones, effectively. Like they compare really badly with much of the rest of Europe. Um, whereas in, in the US, you do at least have a number of really big, successful cities that people can choose to move to. This doesn't change the fact that the heart is getting ripped out of places like Youngstown, but it means that you know the urban vote is is going to be more likely. I bring in Scotland because, again, you have areas that have gone through a very similar transition to places in the north of England, but the vote didn't come out the same way. And I don't think it's because um, people generally feel that differently, but perhaps 
there is a different way that they're articulating it. Um, certainly when I talk to people who um, support uh, Labour in, in Edinburgh and they look at the... Um, this is going back into cities now, but um, the people who voted uh, to leave the UK in this, the poorest areas of the city also voted leave. Um, so I guess in Scotland whether or not you agree with the idea of independence, it's interesting to see that a, quite a centre-left organisation has managed to at least capture quite a lot of that discontent in a different way to the north of England. And it, it is striking that in Scotland, so 55% of Scots think that immigration should be reduced. Uh, 78% of people in England and Wales think that immigration should be reduced. So obviously there is a difference of degree but you wouldn't say that the gap between the expression of anti-immigration sentiment in Scotland was only 20% below England. You would you would put it at, at far lower than that. It's why I am a bit leery of the uh, economic anxiety analysis. I think it gets you part of the way, but I think it is striking, as Julia says, that people in Scotland who have experienced exactly the same thing, uh, Hispanics in Nevada who've experienced exactly the same thing, black people in Philadelphia who've experienced exactly the same thing, in Detroit who've experienced exactly the same thing, did not vote for these nativist uh, expressions of um, of identity. And I think actually with both Brexit and, and Trump, less so uh, with, with Brexit, I think that was a, a smaller part of the story with, with Brexit, but it was, it was definitely an element as well, there was a politicisation of whiteness. Um, mm. uh, actually, I think what happened with... Uh, with the uh, with the with the vote was then um, a more explicit repudiation of multiracial democracy, and we've always known that's a strong and powerful force in U.S. politics was spoken to by by Trump, and that was of course the story in in Florida: massive increases in turnouts in the Obama coalition, enough we would have thought to win, and then the Steve Bannon strategy of of maximizing the white vote, southernizing, as he would put it, the white vote. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's a good point because we haven't talked much about the comparison between the US and Canada and there are differences, particularly you know, in terms of um, Canada's economy and industrial strategy but um, Canadians, you know, white Canadians are also probably on course to be a minority at some point in the not-too-distant future but we're not seeing the same kind of um, uptake of fear and resentment so maybe it does go back to what you were saying about the southernization and this legacy of um, oppression. Yeah. And I mean, I, do, I, I don't think anyone's saying that racism is not a factor here, but I mm. think you have to come up with an argument, an explanation for why racism has become a viable ex, uh, electoral strategy at the margin to attract those extra votes that the Republicans need in places like Wisconsin. But it uh, always I think that has is been in the, in the United States. That's actually one of the 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 few admirable things about the second Bush presidency is the only Republican president not to win uh, his general election, although obviously part of the way he defeated McCain in the primaries was by speaking to racial resentment. Willie Horton, uh, yeah, we've Lee Atwood, and don't worry, I'm not going to uh, jeopardise your universal rating, but uh, Lee Atwood, yeah, said, yeah, yeah, in this, in, yeah, in the, the 60s, you used to be able to say the N word, the N word. That starts to hurt you. That backfires. So you talk about busing, states' rights, welfare. But of course, what you're really uh, talking about is things which uh, help black people. That's always been part of the U.S.'s political mix. And a tweet I saw, I can't remember who said it, but it's really stayed with me. 
about a lot of the analysis from kind of, uh, you know, white liberals, uh, both supporters of Clinton and Sanders, who've kind of seen this largely as an economic... This really was the defeat of the type of, of white left-winger who goes on Twitter at Christmas or Thanksgiving to complain about how racist their family and in-laws are, but they haven't actually challenged or sought to take those people with them. They fled to the cities uh, where their votes became less useful in holding back the tide of reaction, and now they've decided actually the problem wasn't that they didn't stand up or attempt to convert their parents, but then... But then the response was um, was was that people wanted single payer. The same voters who who voted for Trump rejected single payer by sixty points in Colorado. They voted for John Justice, an incredibly right wing governor in West Virginia. And obviously, West Virginia has undergone economic uh, um, problems, and clearly, the failures of the third way, the failures of neoliberalism, are the incubator of this attitude. But I think, in some ways, I think the economic anxiety thing is a bit like me blaming the the you know i don't know like the the choice to leave the radiator on on the fact that the 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 moldy bread has, has started to go to go you know to attract flies yes of course if the heating wasn't on it wouldn't have happened but there was something about there was something in that bread there was you know there was a yeah. a chemical element waiting to be activated in that in the mainstream of american politics and the recession has has played that role yeah no i think that i i think that's certainly true and i'm not been saying otherwise i think it's but i I just keep coming back to a couple of voters i met who uh, the 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 demographic we keep hearing about of like uh, a a lifelong democrat who is now going for trump who'd voted for obama who really seemed to quite like obama but felt that something had gone wrong and trump was the only one talking about it and i'm sure he was racially compromised because I think you ever everyone is in a, in a racist society but I don't think he was like an active racist and it's kind of those voters I'm kind of interested to know what's the thing that's that swung it um I would also like to point out at this juncture that I did cause a blazing row at my, grandf- my grandfather's funeral by having a fight with my racist auntie Beryl about why think, she shouldn't be a racist I think so you're just, right you about know. one thing I mean I spent um uh shout out to my parents that I spent you know a bit of the summer with them visiting family in Canada um all of a different generation and I think People of a younger generation are very used to the fact that um, we buy a lot of cheap things from China. It's, um, you know, we don't see see it perhaps as fundamentally threatening to um, our economic way of life, particularly if we live in cities and we don't Mm. work in industry. Um, You know, I spent a lot of time in rural Canada. um, I have to pleased to say that um, everyone I met was pretty liberal socially. But the thing that did come up again and again was... um, the economic shift away from, um, you know, manufacturing countries like the UK and also um, Canada towards China. Um, So that anxiety, I think, is a real one. Um, And you see it in support for people like Corbyn and Sanders. I know I would argue that, you know, people who say that Sanders could beat um, Trump, I say, well, how how is his, um, I think that goes back to the race and religion thing, I mean, mm. unless he's going to embrace anti-abortion and um, dodgy dog whistle politics, I don't really see that happening. But. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Can we, I, I want to draw this to a con- uh, conclusion quite soon, but can we talk for a minute about the the urban-rural thing? Or, or more, the big city, small city thing, I suppose, is more like it. It feels to me like one of the effects of globalisation, and particularly in the West, move towards a more service-based economy has been, the economy is increasingly focused on really big cities, because those just seem to work be the places where service industries build up so if you've got a medium-sized city that used to have a couple of factories in it you're not going to get like Ernst and Young to move there necessarily you know it's just not going to work in the same sort of business service environment so to what extent do we think that cities are voting in a more liberal internationalist way because of this economic trend and to what extent do you think it's just exposure to a wider range of people and the different values that come with that I think it makes sense if you're a city um, you know, if you look at the very successful city-states or almost city-states of the world, um, Hong Kong, um, Singapore, London, New York, these are all places that benefit from internationalist links and being an open economy, at least for the elites that run the city. Um, so, and I'm, you know, I've been in cities like Bangalore as they were growing as well, and um, it was clear that a lot of jobs were reliant on being working for firms that are in the UK or elsewhere. Um, so yeah, I do think that there is an economic. It's not just that people in cities are somehow more enlightened; it's that they can see the economic benefits. I mean, I think it's a, a combination of both. And there was an interesting thing that in Brexit, it was sort of the revenge of the smaller city against the bigger one. So Salford voted to leave, Manchester voted to stay, Newcastle voted to uh, stay. Uh, uh, oh God, I'm having a blank. Sunderland uh, voted to leave. Despite the fact, of course, that Sunderland had a great deal to lose and did have Nissan and was uh, seeing the benefits, I do think there's an element uh, that in big cities people live cheek by jowl, people go to the same schools, people are aware that um, diversity is not apocalyptic. You know, I think about, say, the East End in my own lifetime. Um, uh, there's a pub in Shoreditch, which, as with all pubs in Shoreditch, is now a real ale pub. But in the early 90s, was uh, regarded as a BNP nursery, the kind of place that if I was an adult, I would feel nervous walking into. Half of the people in that pub have got a mixed-race grandchild. And that has changed, for obvious reasons, the way people think about diversity. The scary thing about Trump, and this is where the optimist in me goes, there is a unique American racial element and maybe this won't hold here 
is that if you told whites they were going to be part of the ethnic minority, it increased the likelihood that they would then support Trump and Trumpian ideas. So it may be that the I thought that this was kind of a dying scream uh, before uh, we we all became big city dwellers, uh, or at least became people who had more interactions with city dwellers. I'm now concerned this may actually be the scream before the small cities and the countryside kill us all. I think um, another city to consider, which is actually quite a small city, is Cambridge, because that has grown um, exponentially over the last decade. Um, It is very much tapped into a global economy. Um, It is quite a liberal and, for its size, quite an outgoing um, cosmopolitan place. I think you're right that there's a playoff between the two, Mm. Um, although I'd say that you know, perhaps people who live in Cambridge, when they see the benefits, might be more likely to be pro um, uh, the general world as opposed to some of the nearby yeah. towns and cities. But around Cambridge, there is also a, quite a big um, far-right movement. Mm. I, f- I think cities on the scale of Cambridge of about 100,000 people do tend to have different attitudes. If you chuck a couple of universities in there and a science park, it does just kind of change the outlook. Well, the thing is, like, university, that is actually the one thing I, I really should have said about small towns right? and sort of mid-sized cities. Is yeah. There is one institution of public policy that we know does act as a, a, a brilliant tool of regeneration, and it's to put a university somewhere uh, and universities can unlock successful regeneration in a way that few other big public projects can. Um, of course, to continue this thing I've been doing today of saying something optimistic and then yanking it away, of course the scary thing in Britain is we have a government which is actively trying to destroy the finance model of uh, universities. So that may set things back further uh, in terms of, of, of what of the transformative effects that universities can have on their local areas. Because obviously in, in Cambridge you've got the... And obviously there are also problems with the far right across East Anglia, but there, there's the research conurbation and you've got all of the kind of effects you expect when you have a, a university somewhere. I guess this Cambridge example might go back to the skills challenge as well, that um, yes, if you are within the precincts of Cambridge, you can have a wonderful life, but if you live in the fence and you left school at 16 you're not going to be able to join that group yeah i think it also it comes back to whether cambridge is more liberal because more liberal people move there or because it inculcates those attitudes and the people are already there um i just Stephen, i've done probably a two dozen podcasts with you by now and i don't think i've ever heard you sound quite so depressed about the state of the world which is really striking this is a really happy episode but um one thing going back to the brexit parallels one positive thing I think that has happened in the wake of Trump is that Bill de Blasio the mayor of New York City put that statement basically saying you know all Americans all people are welcome in in New York that's not changed no matter what happened in that election Um, and that was it read very similarly to me to the statement that London's mayor Sadiq Khan put out in the days after Brexit so do we think that major cities can kind of change anything here will those these kind of statements coming from from mayors have any impact or is it just well Sadiq Khan doesn't control immigration does he so he can say that all he wants but if, if people can't get their visa approved then they can't come to London however I think leadership does matter symbols do matter I'm partly saying this so I want to end on an optimistic. I mean one despite my general tone of misery today I am in, I would describe myself as an optimist, right? I instinctively do still believe in a better tomorrow. I think that, uh, yeah, leadership does matter. We can see 
the converse of that with the rise in race hate after the victories of Trump and uh, Brexit, which, you know, had elements uh, which which pandered to and spoke to racist sentiment. So I think having city leaders who say, look, I'm standing against the, the darkness, sim- you know, you know, yes, some people will lose their visas, but actually, if you are in an ethnic minority here and one of the day-to-day experiences you know, is whether or not now is a safe time to hold your partner's hand, city leaders saying that they are safe spaces is not nothing either. Um, and I think then... Yeah, we sort of have to hope, don't we, that cities are going to be the the the, the place where the, the fight back of the left or liberalism or whatever you want to call it begins because, you know, we can't accept the idea that we are heading to an era of irrevocable darkness because, I mean, that's, where does that leave us? I think it also underlines the fact that, um, you know, mayors of cities don't necessarily have as many powers as perhaps they should given how many people they represent. I mean, you know, the complaints about London, I know Helen always argues, well, actually, London makes up a huge chunk of the UK population. It does matter. Um, so it is kind of surprising that there isn't a bit more clout in from coming from the mayoral office institutionally. So cities might save the world if they can get the powers to do so. That's, uh, that's probably about as optimistic as we're going to get here, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Well, if the world's still here, we'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.